Hey guys, welcome to Content People. I am your host, Meredith Farley. Cameron, thank you so much for joining Content People. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. A huge fan of Kitty and Vibe. So I think a lot of people listening might know you. I have to say, too, one of the women on my team is 26. And I think when I I was doing this with you, it was the first time where she ever thought I was maybe a little bit cool. So, (laughs) oh, my gosh, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, like cool through osmosis, perhaps. For anyone who's not familiar with you and Kitty and Vibe, could you introduce yourself? Absolutely. I'm Cameron Armstrong, uh, founder of Kitty and Vibe. We launched in 2018, so just over five years, and um, built the brand originally in New York City, but now we are based in Austin. So what does Kitty and Vibe sell? Kitty and Vibe is first and foremost an inclusive swimwear brand. I think over the years, we're really evolving day in, day out into more of a lifestyle brand, but We are known for our swimwear. We are known for our sizing metric. For those that aren't familiar, we are the first to make swimsuits and bikinis based on your butt size. And this is very unique and it's first to market, but it is really a way in which we make a much more tailored fit for swimsuits. And yeah, we offer bikinis, one pieces, play dresses, and we just started expanding into other categories that I can tell you a little bit about how we made those decisions, but first and foremost, we're known as a swimwear brand. It, when you talk about butt sizes, I think that's ingenious. How have we not been doing that up till now? It seems so important and so simple. Yes. I know. And it's so funny, Meredith, because I remember when I first came up with the idea for this, I was talking to a patent lawyer because that was the first thing I was trying to do is get a patent for the sizing metric. And he was talking about how the best, most ingenious ideas are the most obvious ones, but nobody's come up with them yet. So when they feel just that clicking moment of, wow, how have I never thought about this before? How hasn't anybody done this before? That's when you know you're really on. Yeah, you guys are definitely onto something, though. I know we'll talk about it later. I have to say I'm really tempted by some of the PJs that I saw you have now too. What was the inspiration for it? What made you think, I want to revolutionize how we sell and size swimwear. It's such a good question. I think there were many different personal life experiences that fed into this and also just a moment in time where I was really getting excited about the idea of revolutionizing swimwear. So I'll take you back to 2017, I'd say. This is a time really the peak of the beginning of direct-to-consumer and I was seeing so many incredible female founders pioneering new businesses, but a lot of those businesses, or I should say, and a lot of those businesses were taking products that had been around forever and just creating a fresh spin on them. So you think of mattresses with Casper and suitcases with Away and toothbrushes with Quip. It was just like these household items and these things that everybody has in their ownership, but they needed a fresh perspective. And I was looking at Swim, and for me personally, I had never had a swimsuit that was my ride or die swimsuit. I never had something that I was like, oh, I can't wait to wear that. It was quite the opposite of, oh, I don't really want to reach in my drawer and get this garment. And this is really a pain in the ass to shop for. And I talked to so many other and I was just struck by the negativity that, that surrounded the category and the product itself. So much more so than anything else you own, like the way that you 
react towards a swimsuit is very different than a pair of jeans or underwear. And I think it's because it's the least amount of clothing we wear in public. It is the most that your body is vulnerably on display. And you just really feel that like spotlight on you when you're wearing a swimsuit. And I just feel we deserve to feel beautiful and confident in that swimsuit. And I think the industry was really doing us a disservice and not giving us the best options, nor empathizing with the fact that it's difficult to shop for. So when I set out to dive into this, I remember trying to go into a couple boutiques and shopping for swimsuits in person. And I was just like, oh, it's just so not fun. I, you can paint the picture. You're in a boutique. You like pick out a couple sizes. Of course, they're one's a large, one's an extra small because no brand has consistent sizing. And you take it into a fitting room where there's horrible lighting and you're like getting naked in this weird little room. And then the lady outside, come on, oh, let me see it. <laughs> She's like, this is terrible. And I didn't buy anything. And then I went online and ordered a couple and the tops were way too big, bottoms were way too small. And I just thought, this is dumb. I'm trying to give my money to a product and it seems so basic, yet I can't find one that I love. So the next thing I did was start holding focus groups. In my apartment in New York, I invited women over for brunch on a Saturday and had like muffins and mimosas. And I was just like, can you just come talk to me about your swimsuit experience? And it was really great because I just had this think tank where I got all these women together and we started just complaining about what we didn't like. And that's when I started just intuitively measuring people. I was like, okay, I feel like this, is a good place to start like getting your hands dirty per se. Okay, let me just tangibly see what's going on here. And I started measuring all of my friends and I found that the inseam size was the biggest differentiator. So I'd have two friends with identical hip sizes. So around, they would order the same swimsuit bottoms because they had the same sized hips, but one person's inseam. So I consider the inseam the belly button through her legs to the top of the tailbone would be like three inches longer than the other. So the person that those two women that would order the same swimsuit, one would have way too much fabric because their inseam was shorter and this the swimsuit would sag. And then the other person would never have enough fabric and then it, you couldn't get enough coverage on the seat. I was like, this is crazy. Obviously, we're three dimensional figures, so we should be able to shop something that caters to these different dimensions. So that's how the kitty size was born, which is really incorporating that inseam size into every hip size. So as you shop our range, say you wear a medium. If you're medium with a smaller inseam or typically smaller booty, you'd be M1. Medium with a longer inseam, larger booty, you'd be M2. There's so much that you just covered there. That's <laughs> I know, sorry, that was a long, that was a long rant just then, but we'll no, I love into the origin story. I was thinking. I feel like when you're talking about it, I'm thinking when I was a little kid, I had so many swimsuits and I loved all of them. They were so colorful. And they, I didn't think twice about it, but then something happens. And then I feel like probably for the last six years, I've had one bathing suit at a time that I've held on to for three to four years and I hate it and it doesn't fit right. That tugs at my heartstrings around when is that shift for us? When you are a child and you just aren't thinking about it and you're so much more focused and having fun in the water and everything else around you versus how you look wearing that 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 it is heartbreaking like when did that shift and I really hope with Kitty and Vibe we can get back to that sentiment of you're just not focused on what you're wearing anymore you're just living in the present moment because you feel comfortable 
you feel safe in what you're wearing. I really think that's a goal of what we're trying to tap into. I feel like you guys are really achieving that in one, the sizing options to find something that fits you right, which is cute, good and comfortable in anything. And then two, like the colors and the patterns are so cool. The designers you work with to figure out these prints, I love them. And it's so vibrant. And then also just the photos and it's women having fun. It's not women overly focused on how they look. It looks like women having focused on how they feel, which I really Yeah, I that brought up so many thoughts in my head. But I think you're nodding to the fact that Kitty and Vibe is very accessible in the sense that I think so often, especially in a social media world, there is a cool factor in this aspirational type of marketing where you feel like you can't attain. This is so chic and sexy and it just, you can't attain it, but you want it. So you buy it because you're trying to achieve that. We flip that on its head and, and we say, no, this, this can be, you can feel this way and you should feel empowered. And we do that through our community-driven marketing, which is just shown through every touch point of the brand. So as you go onto our website, like you said, you real models, and that's because they're actually our customers. They're actually fans of the brand. So any campaign that we do, we only utilize people that have applied to model for us. So on our website, we have an open application. Anybody can model for us. And when we're doing a photo shoot, we just filter for that city and contact women who applied. And our application is actually now at over 4,000 people have applied to model for us. And it's my favorite part of my Slack because the applications ding into our our Slack channel. And I just got one at 10, so 20 minutes ago. And it says, what makes you want to model for Kitty and Vibe? I endure the inclusivity of your brand when it comes to the glorious model showcase. It's something you don't see often, but when I see it from Kitty and Vibe, oh my God. Okay, I just give me chills. Yeah, I did not plan it. I saw it from Kitty and Vibe. It gave me that inner child in me who always wanted to model more than one, any ounce of hope. The open and comforting environment the brand carries eases every doubt I've had that says I couldn't be a plus size model. Oh my God. That is, we're that, listening. That's listening. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? But seriously, Meredith, we get, I don't know, around 10 or 15 applications a day. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to ask people, you. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Because it's not just for show of like you see a brand sometimes like one summer they'll do an open casting call and it's oh my god this is your chance no we do this at every photo shoot so it's actually a realistic opportunity that this person could be chosen because we only we do it for every single photo shoot that we host I might ask you to screenshot and send me that because that would be incredible promo material for this yes I feel and I want to get so into the brand and community there's so much I love what you guys are doing. Hey guys, interrupting this interview for 10 seconds to talk about Medberry. Medberry is a social media agency that I founded in 2023 and we produced this podcast. Our promise is pretty simple. We create social media strategies that really, really work. We offer LinkedIn, Instagram, and newsletter management for founders, execs, entrepreneurs, public figures, and brands. Our clients often see significant results within just a few weeks of us working together. We're fun to work with, and we'd love to help you. You can check out our website, sign up for our newsletter, or shoot us an email. Everything's in the show notes. Okay, back to the interview.
And there's so much to mine there. But before we do, I have a couple more operational questions. Yeah, let's do it. First, I'm really curious, how did you get started? Did you know anything about clothing manufacturing? It sounds like you had this intuitive sense and the focus groups sound so interesting. And you're like, there's a big dip in the market here. But then how did you make that happen? You know, I actually had no experience in designer fashion. I was working in marketing at the time. I started my career at L'Oreal. So I was working on Giorgio Armani and Yves Saint Laurent. And so I had a really incredible experience early in my career on how to build a global footprint and also how to bring a product to market in a specific location. So that was just really, this isn't important. We don't need to talk about this. You can take out this part. Okay. So, so I'll just back up and say, I did not have experience in designer fashion. I started my career at L'Oreal, which was really valuable opportunity. But when it came to designing a physical product, I did not have that experience, but I did have the curiosity to your point of, I, I feel like I had that drive and that fire of just wanting to get out there and finding these answers um, that I was searching for. So starting with the focus groups and the, the first step, people always ask like, how did you get started or what? How did you make the first step? What was your first step? My first step was getting on the F train and taking it to the garment district and just walking around. (laughs) I I was like, okay, I'm going to go find some swimsuit fabric and just took the subway up and walked around and got, I remember getting a color card of just a really standard swimsuit fabric from a place that I had Googled. And I was so proud. I just went home with such a spring in my step because I was like, I did it. I made the first move and now I have colors to choose from. Granted, I did not work with that supplier or anything, but it was just something tangible in my hands. Oh, you're doing this. You're actually, you're going to go for this. And so that's the first step that I took. And from there, I looked for a manufacturing partner and found an incredible partner that is still the partner behind Kitty and Vi making all of our suits today. And it was a perfect marriage because I came with the brains of the business and marketing and they brought the actual design and manufacturing piece. So we really just stayed in our lane. So <laughs> if you can see, this is framed behind me. I can send you a picture of this as well if we want, yeah. but for people to see. These are the very first sketches that I made. These are like my first sketches of the logo and sketches of the styles that I wanted to develop. So I had a vision, but I had no idea how to make an underwire swimsuit top. Wow. So as what I did is brought these sketches and then found somebody that could really bring it to life. What was the next question? <laughs> you answered it. I was like, did you have experience? Like, how did you manifest something tangible? Yeah. And I really love that story. I love that. I think it might resonate with a lot of people. It resonates with me. Like I, d- I worked in product in before I ran Medbury, I, for a, few, a couple of years, I was a chief product officer. And mm-hmm. one thing I always found comforting was how iterative and quickly things evolved. And we're looking back at old scopes of work. We'd pitch to clients for products that six months or a year later were so different. But like that yeah. document was maybe like a version for me of that sketch for you, but always such a healthy reminder that you just have to start somewhere and it will evolve if you keep taking steps. And I love that you have that framed and I could see the story maybe inspiring someone who's, I don't know how to move this forward, but I can come up with one teeny tiny thing to do. Teeny tiny thing. Exactly. That's so true. Like you want to start a podcast place in order for a microphone. If you want to, you just got to do one, one thing. And that will just lead to the next thing. And it will just start to fuel that fire inside of you. 
Okay, so what is a day in the life like for you right now, five years later? Gosh, it's such a good question. And the truth is that no day looks exactly the same. I'd say the biggest difference from when I started five years ago versus now is I actually have people to talk to. (laughs) The first year or two, it was just myself and our manufacturer and maybe, I don't know, one freelancer or something that I would use to to work on a particular project. But now I actually have people day in and day out working on Kitty and Vibe, which is so incredible. And I'm also in our office space in Austin, surrounded by our product and our samples and our swatches, which is so exciting. Whereas when I started, which honestly, I'm so happy to have those humble beginnings of I, the first 4,500 orders I packed by hand from my closet in Brooklyn. So I was like in a teeny tiny closet, just packing orders every day. Like, and I wouldn't change that for the world. It is, it was, there was something so special for every product that went to a customer's hands. I touched first and it was just that, that felt very connecting to our community in the early days. But I would say a day in the life for me now is really working on operational things. I still manage majority of our finances and ops of getting the product from the factory to our warehouse, et cetera. So doing a lot of operational work and which is honestly echoes what I did at L'Oreal as well. And then creative wise, we have a couple of freelancers that help us with graphic design and paid media, et cetera. So we have great partners, but no two days look the same. I have to be honest. I also I think as a solo founder and leading this company, sometimes I really crave, I'm like, I would love a performance review. I would love to know what my job description is because we wear so many different hats, but that's what keeps it interesting. Yeah. Do you, can you envision five years ahead or are you like, no, you can't do it. There's so many unknowns or does it feel more clear to you? I think five years ahead, I see myself more in a strictly marketing role, like more of a CMO type role. I love the inception of a campaign. I love coming up with the storytelling. I love figuring out who this product is being sold to, how we're going to market it. That is so fascinating to me. So yeah, I I think I see myself most evolving in a purely marketing role versus a CEO type role. That it may, it seems like that side of things comes really naturally for you and you have an incredible Mm -hmm. at it which is the perfect segue because I really want to ask about Instagram you have built yeah an incredible community there and I want to get into it like first off how many followers does Kitty and Vibe have like a ton we have yeah we're just over 70,000 on Instagram and I think around 130,000 on TikTok oh my gosh and they're so engaged, which I think is a real differentiator compared to yeah. other. Maybe have some numbers, but the comments and can you just talk to me a little bit about how you figured this community out and how you grew yeah, it? yes. And I think the engagement is so much more important than the follower count these days. If you have two thousand followers on Instagram, but they are actually engaged, that's so much more valuable than having a hundred thousand followers that aren't engaged. So I think for people that are starting out that maybe feel, I don't know, comparison anxiety of not having a big following yet, doesn't matter. It, what matters is are the people that are following you actually care of what you're putting out? So 
for us, I think our secret sauce was the dialogue that we created with our community followers, customers. And what I mean by that is if you're engaging with Kitty and Vibe, it's not a one-way relationship. You're actually going to get something back. So we've spent so much time and energy in putting into our kind of just customer happiness. But a lot of that is just any DM we get, we are going to respond. And it's probably going to be either myself or my marketing manager, Sarah. And we're not just going to send the heart emoji. We're going to actually send you something back or I'm known to send voice memos back to customers. I, I really have put so much time into just creating this two-way relationship. And I think that's what has helped us be so sticky is it's not just Again, that aspirational feel of, oh, you see this like really cute bag on, I don't know, I don't want to call any brand name out, but something where you comment or you send them a DM and you're never going to hear anything back. That's just not as fulfilling as, oh, you actually will get a response and we care about what you say. And we take that to the next step with our co-creation. And that came as a result of me not having experience in designer fashion. So when I was creating the first line of Kitty and Vibe, I made a survey and sent it out to as many people as I could get to take the survey. And it asked, okay, what types of styles do you prefer? What colors do you prefer? What month do you like to shop in? Just getting all of that feedback. And it's still in the DNA of the brand today. So any product that we launch goes up first for co-creation surveys through email surveying and Instagram polling, where people can actually vote on what we launch and majority wins. So people really feel like they're helping us design our products. And I think having that onus is so much more or is really beneficial into them actually purchasing the product because they felt like it helped design it. So I think the magic of our community and how we've created it is because of that dialogue that we've set in, in place with our customer and the consistency with it. I can see that creating a sense of connection with the brand to feel like your feedback and your notes are heard and meaningful and that you get a response back like people say community on social media but like that's truly creating a two-way street community yes is there do you notice like stronger sales when the products have been when there's been a lot of engagement around the co-creation does it seem to call oh, yeah a hundred percent and what's really fascinating is we always see specifically, so our repeat customer rate is super high it's in total 32%. But when we launch a new collection, it spikes to 45%. And that's because in those first two weeks, the people that voted on the product are the first to want to buy it. And what's really fascinating is we always see at least the first 30 days of a new collection matches perfectly the data that we got from the co-creation survey. So say, for example, we're launching a print in two different colorways. We asked which one they like more and it's a 70-30 split. We bought that in the inventory with the 70-30 split and the sales are identically 70-30. And it's only after we start opening it up to paid media and other channels that are our direct community that we might see those numbers shift. But they really do echo as a whole what our community is asking for, which is so helpful in placing really smart inventory buys, which is crucial if you are an inventory heavy company. And some, I think a proof point for us is I've never had to dump a product. So we've sold 
everything 100%. It's wild. I feel like there's two levels of innovation happening here. There's the sizing, but then there's this incredible like community feedback design purchase model. Mm-hmm. So if someone listening, say they're a founder and, and they're or, the, or they're working for a brand and they're really trying to get things moving and they're finding it a little difficult, is there some kind of brass tacks advice you'd have for someone to say, do this, don't do that when trying to build and engage an Instagram community? Yeah, I think the number one golden rule is don't strictly talk at people. There's so much of that going on all the time. We're just like infiltrated nonstop with just media thrown at you. And I think when all of a sudden you have a media thrown at you that actually asks you a question or wants to know what you think, it allows you to have that longer thumb stop and you say, oh, this account wants to know what I think. And I feel that really helps set you apart if you just aren't always talking at people. So that would be my number one rule. And then also not being afraid to evolve. I think it's hard to keep up these days because what's winning on social media, it feels like changes every 30 days almost. You like hit in a stride in a groove and then all of a sudden things start to not perform. So you really have to be willing to match what's what's working on social, which can be very exhausting. But as long as you look at it as an opportunity to innovate, I think that is what you have to do to win. Being good at social media and investing chunks of time and money or both into it is, it seems to be increasingly imperative for business. Mm -hmm. Isn't it funny? I feel like when we started Kitty and Vibe, what performed the best was like the most aesthetic, beautiful content. And that's all been stripped away over the last five days, like people, five days, five years. (laughs) I think now it's so much more the raw and the real that people crave because that's been the biggest issue with social media is it's just not a realistic depiction of someone's real life. It's just this rosy view. And I think people are so much more attached if they feel like it's an honest perspective. And so much of that comes with taking away like only the editorial, if you're a business account, only the editorial. People get so much more excited if they're like seeing, you know, the coworkers in the office and what it's really like to work there. There's just so much hunger for that realistic point of view so i'm curious how that's going to evolve in another five years (laughs) god yeah i can't even imagine it is interesting i wonder if we'll start to see almost in the same way with like fashion like things come back maybe come back yeah Yeah. like all of a sudden the aesthetic grid is hot again who knows so for you from your perspective How do you think that social media has powered Kitty and Vibes growth? I think the biggest gift, especially as you're starting out, it's free. Like the fact that you can make an Instagram account and a TikTok account and you don't have to pay for it and you can just start building a curated presence online that doesn't cost you money. It's pretty amazing. And when I started out, we completely bootstrapped the brand for the first several years. So I think social media was it was such a, I look back at founders that started, I think one that always comes to mind is Sarah Blakely starting Spanx pre-social media. And she's going to these retailers and Neiman's and trying to sell her product. And that is just, that drive and grit is just so impressive to me because nowadays, honestly, it's quite easy to start. 
you can sign up for Shopify and create these accounts and you can just go for it. And granted, obviously, it's getting quite crowded because of how accessible it is to start. So you still have to have a cutting edge product or reason for being for people to start listening to you. But the barrier for entry is a lot lower. It's funny, when you were talking earlier about packing boxes from your closet in Brooklyn, I was thinking Sarah Blakely. Like some parallel yeah. between you guys. You've done so much. I love the brand. I want to talk about the products in a little bit and see if there's anything mm-hmm. we can keep our eyes peeled for in the next couple of months. But before then, do you have any advice? Are there three bits of advice you'd give your younger self five years ago? You mentioned comparison anxiety earlier. I think that's really an easy trap to fall into that I still struggle with. Just spending too much energy looking outward and seeing where your peers are. I think for me, I really did start Kitty and Vibe in this boom of direct-to-consumer. And I didn't follow the model of raising a lot of money to start the business. I decided to build a community and a customer base first before going out and raising money, which was not the sexy thing to do. I feel like the headlines were X company raises X money in their series A. And I just, I've spent way too much time and energy comparing myself to these businesses. And I think, honestly, it's only now that I'm really realizing how useless that was to spend the energy there because a lot of those companies are now closing, which is a really, which is heartbreaking, but it just goes to show there isn't a singular path for building a business. There are many different ways in which you can do it. And as long as you have conviction and excitement around the way you're doing it, that's what really matters. And so I think a biggest advice I'd give myself is just like tune out that noise and don't spend your energy just mulling over these milestones that other people are hitting and recognize the milestones that you're hitting yourself, however big or small. I think I would also say as you're starting out, it's interesting how much involuntary feedback you receive. People are just like, oh, oh, it's cool, but like, why don't you name it this? Or why don't you do this? And people just perk up when you're starting out. And I think because it's not, it hasn't been proven yet, they feel like they have more permission to, to give you feedback. And I think I had so many people that didn't like the name Kitty and Vibe. And they were like, I don't get it. I don't think it's a good idea. You should name it something else. And now people all the time are like, oh, so catchy. It's so cheeky. How'd you come up with this? And so I think really as you're starting out, it's important to also tune out that noise and just listen to your inner gut and intuition because you know your product and your idea better than anybody else. And let's see, a third piece of advice. What else would I tell myself? I, this is, I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate it, but I think now that I'm six years past having that, those first focus groups, I sometimes am just craving that drive again and that fearlessness. I I really feel like when I started Kitty and Vibe, I, for better, for worse, did not have fear. Like I had no part of me that was wondering what if this doesn't work out that was not in my headspace who knows if I was just super naive and I was just blinded by the excitement but there was no part of me that was like this won't work I had a hundred percent conviction this is going to work and I think as now the business is 
further along. I am less risk averse or am more risk averse. What is the right word? Yeah. I'm, more, I'm now more risk averse and I'm craving just that spark and that fearlessness that I had when I was first starting out. So I'm not sure what that is. Maybe it's giving myself the advice of when I was in that headspace, write down how that feels. What does that feel like in your body? What does that feel like in your mind? Just keep track of your journey in building this. I think I ask myself these days, how, did, how was I so brave? And I wish that I could tap into that part of me. And I think I'm trying to do exercises to get back into that headspace. But maybe it's the advice of keeping track of just how you're feeling throughout this journey. Because it's so funny. Like as an entrepreneur, they have these maps. You can Google like meme of entrepreneur life. And you just see this up and down. You're like, one day I'm on top of the world. I'm the smartest person on the planet. And the next day you're like, I'm a failure. I should quit. The next day you're back up again. And it's just crazy. And I think it would help if you had a bit more of a record of that to remind yourself when you're in those depths and the valleys that you, oh, it's going to It's just a matter of time. It's just the ride that you're on. Yes. Oh my God. I have so much to say to all those points. I actually was listening to a podcast interview with Matthew McConaughey. Did you ever listen to his book? green lights no i love loved his voice so it was just like a really fun listen but he was talking about exactly what you're saying where like his his, the book he i guess he did he had 37 years of journaling and he was like you have to journal like the good times too to remind yourself what it feels like and like where your head was at which really jumped out at me but when you're talking about all of the advice that you get i I was in the shower this morning actually thinking about this and I was like, should I just do something where for four weeks I'm just not open to feedback? I'm closed. Exactly. Closed for the season because I'll stop you right there. I'm closed. I'm pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think to your point, like when you're, I think as women in general, I think there's, I don't know if it's inherent or something that's culturally cultivated in us to be really concerned with what other people think and other people's perspectives and I'm like I've spent my whole life being probably too open to feedback how might it feel to just like hone in for a a few weeks I think that's really but I also too I'm sure there's a balance as well because I'm thinking of that version of you that went to go pick up like your first sample of fabric it's hard yeah. to be open and learning and evolving. And so finding the balance between learning as you go and need trying to educate right. yourself versus sorting through what's useful versus unuseful feedback. It's, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of work and it's hard. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. But and then, yeah, I get the roller coaster. I hear it. I also, too, mm-hmm. I want to appreciate how I think there are a lot of founders who would get interviewed and be like everything's great all the time thanks for asking like, <laughs> and I just I'm grateful for it because I think it helps other people feel less crazy and it's very oh, yeah kind of you to be so open about it and in some ways I feel like it really mirrors the authenticity of the brand you've created and I'm just really appreciative thank you yeah absolutely no I think it's so important and it's amazing as soon as you open the window a little bit to the that true honesty how quickly other people are open to as well and you're like oh wow you're feeling this too I always love when I meet a new founder and you can tell if they're going to have that energy nope everything's great I'm 
success story and I'm on top of the world or you just get that little nugget and you're like, oh, maybe they're going to be honest of what <laughs> they're struggling with. And as soon as you both allow yourself to go there, you're like, oh, I feel so much better. I'm not alone in this. Let's help each other. I'm struggling with different things. Let's lift each other up. We're going to pull ourselves out of it. It's so beneficial. Yeah. So I think that's really important. All right. So I am definitely buying some of your pajamas. I think they are so Thank cute. You. And I need to get a new swimsuit too. So for anyone listening, what should they look at? What's going to be happening? Great question. Okay. So like I said, our we're known for our swimsuits, but we are building out these other categories, which came as a result of our customers asking for us to bring our vibes, which by the way, our print we refer to as vibes, since Kitty and Vibe. And that was a way to personify the product a little bit more so it can feel more like a friend than an enemy. So all of our prints have a kind of persona that go along with it. When you order a swimsuit, it comes to your doorstep with a matching playlist that goes with the vibe of your suit and some instructions on how to get into a positive mental space before you try on the swimsuit. So people are very attached to their prints, to our prints and our vibes. So we took our vibes and we brought them to other categories, first to pajamas and sleepwear, which are great for the holidays because they're much more giftable than a bikini. But for Valentine's Day, we will have our first collection go live that has both swim and loungewear. So I'm really excited for our customers and listeners here to be able to see our product in multiple different expressions at the same time. So that will be very fun. And we have a jam-packed season this year of lots of different products coming out. So pretty much if you check kittyandvibe.com, I would say every two weeks we'll have something new. So be sure to check us out as you buy a new swimsuit for the season. Yeah, we'll definitely check out the vibe. So for anyone listening, we will put a link in the show notes so that you can check out the site, check out the PJs, check out the loungewear, check out the suits. So for all the listeners, we're also going to give you $20 off any order. So you'll just use code content people for $20 off. Amazing. We'll put that in the show. <laughs> Anything else, Cameron, that you wish I'd asked or that you'd want to say? I'm trying to think. Maybe it goes throughout the theme that we've talked about as just being vulnerable, being honest, and being kind. Our mission at Kitty and Vibe is kind is my vibe. And we define that by being kind to yourself, your body, and others. And I really feel as you're on your life journey, what we believe is if you are able to feel that confidence and that self-love within yourself, which for us is we think a really great fitting swimsuit can help unlock that confidence. That's what we're trying to do is awaken and fuel that inner self-love. Once you feel that self-love, you're so much more likely to be able to be kind to others. When you feel good, you do good. So I think just a nice little reminder is my vibe. You can hold that however you please, but just remember to be kind to yourself when you can. I love that. I'm going to hold that today. Thank you. Please do. All right, Cameron. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, content people. Do you mind if I call you that? If you like the show, there are a few ways you can stay in touch and support us. The first is you could subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. The second is you could leave a five-star rating and a review. Those make a really big impact. I know they're kind of a pain and they take a little bit of time, but if you're feeling generous and you've been listening to the show, I'd appreciate it so much. 
And the third is you could sign up for the Content People newsletter. The link is in the show notes. We share news about the show and episodes. And I also write a lot about the intersection between work and creativity, which is kind of at the heart of so many of these content people conversations. We also love feedback. If you want to request a guest or a topic, pitch yourself to be on the show, advertise with us, learn more about Medbury's social media, or otherwise just be in touch, shoot me an email. I would love to hear from you. It's meredith at medburyagency.com. That's M-E-D-B-U-R-Y agency.com. I will throw that in the show notes too. All right, till next time.